How is everybody today? I hope you're doing fine. It's good to be in youth. It makes me feel, I don't know if it makes me feel old or maybe my gray hair is making me feel old. I'm not sure, but I'm, it feels like not too long ago I used to go to youth. You know, the interesting thing about youth versus, say, the church in general is that youth is very transitory. You're here one moment, you're gone the next. You get people grow up, they come into youth, they get married, they get older, they leave youth. Um, interesting thing about getting married, that is not, that is not my topic, right? this is just my introduction, is I uh, was talking to a girl yesterday at, at work in the dental office, and she was just super excited about um, being a bridesmaid, her best friend was getting married. And so, I don't know if this is dry humor or what, but, so I asked her, I said, is your friend... Uh, is she having an arranged marriage or not? And she looked at me like, bro, we're in 2022. Like, what are you talking about, arranged marriage? Uh, so I want to ask the guys and the girls, would any of you want to have an arranged marriage? If you do, raise your hand. I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I am very genuinely curious. Only Dennis, but he's already married, so that doesn't count. Because nobody... Okay, so here's a little bit of humor. Bear with me, if, if you will. I said, all right, well, if I guess if her marriage isn't arranged, it must be spontaneous. So all of you who didn't raise your hands, after service today or maybe next Tuesday, just come up here and we'll spontaneously get you all married. When you come home, you're like, Dad, Mom, I got news. I didn't want an arranged marriage. So spontaneously, I just came up to her. She came up to me, and Dennis prayed for us, and we're married. We need to start looking for a house, right? Uh, the reason I say that is when you, uh, when you talk to young people, old people, any kind of people, you got to know your audience, right? And I'm glad you're here. We're going uh, to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 and 11 through 16. If you could open up your Bible and um, open up your Bible to Ephesians 4. Um, this is going to be more of a sermon for those people who have already met Jesus. Now, if you haven't met Jesus and you're not saved, you need to make an arrangement, meet Jesus. Uh, if you want to do it today and do it spontaneously, you can do that too, right? But God has done everything for us. He's done everything else for us so that we can grow up, so that we can become mature Christians. Being little, being small is a really wonderful feeling. I don't know if any of you remember before you started going to school, but you, I don't know about you, but you got to sleep in as much as you want. I don't remember my parents waking me up. When The first time I remember my parents waking me up was for the airport when I was like four, and then it was for school. And it was like, wow, you have to get up early? It's, it kind of, you know, it kind of sucks. You don't have to worry about work. Um, you don't have to worry about where your food's coming from. You don't have to, just, just so little to worry about when you're young, right? I've got some kids who are a little bit younger, and most of them know how to go to the bathroom on their own. But one of my girls 
doesn't know how to go to the bathroom, and therefore she wears diapers, which is great for us, you know. But imagine that when we're trying to potty train her, we've got a little bathroom set up for her, and we'll change her diaper. She'll go sit on it for like five seconds. Nothing happens. She gets up, and she feels proud of herself, which is fine. For her age, she's turning two in July. But imagine the same girl two, three, four, five, seven years down the road, and she's still wearing her diaper at like seven and ten. During the day, she just walks around with her diaper on. And we turn to her and say, well, this is, isn't this a little uncomfortable? Isn't this, you know, wet? It's kind of hot? Like, it's time for you to grow up. There's something better out there. And if she turns around and looks at us and say, well, at least it's warm. You'd look at her and you say, something is wrong with you. You're not growing up as you should. You know, God has done everything for us. He's showed us his kindness through giving us salvation and giving us um, the ability to be saved from eternal hell and damnation. He's called us into his kingdom. He's given us everything, right? Paul says that God has given so much and he hopes that we can understand the width, the depth, the height, uh, just everything of the love of God. And so one of God's, one of the things that God wants is he doesn't want us to just become Christians and, and stay as Christians. And that's it. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature, to, to become people who are like Jesus Christ. So if you think your Christian walk is just being saved, um, it's not. There's so much more. But oftentimes we, we, you know, we're saved and we're like, that's it. That's the end of our growth. That's the end of our story. Now just love Jesus and do nothing with your life and you're fine. And God wants more than that. And so we open up to Ephesians chapter 4 um, and verse, starting from verse 1. And I believe you've already read, you've already read this. Um, it says, therefore, I, prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, this Apostle Paul says, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. We said that God is good. We could say amen, right? God has prepared a gift for you, and that gift is salvation. That gift is given to you by God because he's a good God. It's not because you deserved it, because none of us have deserved it. We all deserve hell and eternal damnation. But once, like I said before, once you're born again, once you have salvation, there's something more that God wants from you. And so when you read verse 1, and it says that you have been called by God, live a life worthy of your calling, you have been called by God. Two things. One, there is a calling that God has for you. He expects something from you. And two, there is the one who is calling, and that is God. The one who calls or God determines what the calling is, and you as the one who is being called need to be able to hear that calling and to respond to it. I am a father, and we just celebrated Father's Day. 
my role as a dad is more than just to give life to my kids. If all I did was give life to my kids and disappear, um, would I be a good father? Say no. I would be a father, but I wouldn't be a very good father. I'm not there in life with my kids. They're left. Obviously, you know, uh, things happen, but if, if, if you leave, if that's your choice to leave, you're not a good father. Well, you could say, well, the next step in your father is you have to take care of your children, and that is true, and you should take care of your children. But if all you did is go to work, bring money home, give it to your wife or give it to your kids, give them food, give them shelter, and not do anything else for them, you're still not measuring up. Because if that's all you do, what your kids are gonna, um, your kids are gonna grow up. They're gonna be 25. They're gonna be 30. They're gonna be living in your basement, be playing video games. They're gonna be, you know, um, asking money for gas. They're gonna be 30 years of age bodily, but mentally they're gonna be somewhere between 12 and 15, and that is a problem, right? You don't want your kids just to be provided for physically. You want your kids to grow and to become mature adults so they can be on their own. Part of my job as a father is to prepare my kids to leave the house. And so when they do leave the house, they are ready for life. They are ready to be adults. Unfortunately, you look around yourself and you see so many people who are unprepared for life. They're old enough, but they're not mature mentally. They're and then you have problems with our culture, you have problems with our politics, with our morality, with people being, you know, uh, what do they call them, snowflakes, people being super easily offended by everybody. Why? Because physically they've grown up, mentally, emotionally they have not matured. Uh, kids who have beards, that is a problem. And the same thing happens to us spiritually. We can be in church, we can look good, we can wear a tie, we can sing in the choir, maybe we could preach, we could sing, we can do all sorts of things, but that doesn't determine your level of spiritual maturity. And when you have a church that is full of immature Christians who are born again, who are saved, but have not have any growth in their life, spiritual growth, the church starts having all sorts of problems and issues. You start having all sorts of problems and issues. Because I want my children to mature and to grow up, I, as the caller, make certain calls on their life. I, as the father, with love, make certain calls on their life. Just like God the Father is making a certain call, a certain something that we should do on our life. If I let my children do whatever they want, you may guess what they want. They'll eat candy all day, they'll watch cartoons. The house will be a mess, and uh, they'll grow up very uncivilized and very immature. So I have to make my kids do things they don't want to do. I have to stop my kids from doing things they want to do. Why? Because I love them and I want them to mature. For example, when I ask one of my daughters to clean up the living room, I am the caller who's making the call to her. She is now responsible to me to make that happen, to do what I'm asking her to do. 
I am asking her, and what I'm calling her is to, for her to act a certain way because of what I'm demanding from her. And she is now walking before me, right? She is, if I make the call and I ask her to clean up, she's not responsible to her siblings. She's not responsible to her grandpa or her grandma. She's not responsible to her friends who may be calling her to go play. She is responsible to me as the caller. God is our good father. He is the one who has given us salvation. Like I've said before, our Christian walk doesn't end there. He wants us to mature and to become like Christ who is perfect. And so our first responsibility, our first um, priority should be to walk before God because he is the one who calls us. We see a couple examples in the Bible. First one is Abraham. God calls out to him and says, walk before me and be blameless. So Christianity, first and foremost, is our walk in our relationship with, with God. It is not us walking before somebody else. Um, there are many characters in the Bible, as you read to them, it says that they walked before God. Or that they didn't walk before God. Or they walked in ways that where they thought they could kind of get away with things. You have Naaman, who was a general. He came to the prophet Elijah because he had leprosy. Yeah, he told him to go to the Jordan River. He dunked himself seven times, came out, came back to Elisha because he was super happy he wasn't sick anymore, said, hey, I've got some gifts for you. Elisha said, no, thank you, send him on his way. Elisha's servant then runs after Naaman and says, hey, we've got some people over. Can you share some gifts with us? And Naaman says, sure, why not? Here's some clothes for you. Here's some silver for you. Take it and enjoy it. His uh, servant, um, Gehazi, takes, takes the things, brings it back, hides them. Elisha says, hey, where were you at? And he says, your servant was nowhere. I didn't go anywhere. He lied to him. God opens up to Elisha, and Elisha says that the leprosy that was, with Naaman, was on Naaman is now going to be transferred to you and to your descendants. The man thought he could get away with something. He wasn't walking before God. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, sold some land and they wanted to look pretty good, kind of like Barnabas. Barnabas sold some land, took the money from the land, gave it to the church, gave it to the apostles. And they felt maybe jealous, maybe they wanted somebody to praise them, say something good about them. So they took some land, they sold the land, they took a portion of that money, brought it to the apostles and said, we're giving you everything. Apostle Peter, when he looks at them, he says, and he knows that they're not given the entire amount that they sold the, this piece of property for, and he says, you're not lying to me or to us. You are lying to God. These people were not walking before God. Genesis chapter 5, it says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. King Hezekiah in 2 Kings becomes sick, he's about to die. Isaiah the prophet comes and says, hey, you're going to die, prepare a will. And so King Hezekiah starts, turns to the wall, he starts crying, and he says, God, you have seen that I have walked before you, and I have walked before you, I have walked before you well, I've done good things, I've done it with my full heart. God does what? He says, Isaiah, turn around, go back, tell King Hezekiah he's got 15 more years to live. 
Daniel's friends, he had three friends. They were supposed to bow down to a big idol that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. They declined. And so they're brought before a fiery furnace, hot fire, and the king says, hey, you guys need to bow down to the statue I built. And they, and their message begins with, the God whom we serve, or the God whom we walk before. And so they were willing to die because they understood the priority that they were walking before God in their life, before they were walking the king or anybody else. The apostles are teaching people in the temple. The, uh, the people, the leaders of the, of the Israelites are upset that they're teaching Jesus. And they tell the guards, they say, hey, go, go grab these apostles, bring them here uh, to the high council. And they're told, don't preach Jesus anymore. Like, you guys need to stop this. And Peter finds boldness and he says, um, we must obey God before human authority. Walking before God was such a priority in their life that they would have rather died than walked before somebody else before walking before God. You know, the, the hardship with that is we understand that we should walk before God as a, and that is our priority, that is what we should do. But it's hard sometimes. When I asked my daughter to clean up the room, I, as the caller, have made the call, and she, as the one who receives that call, understands what I've asked her to do. But you know when she starts cleaning up her room, all of a sudden her friends come over and they say, hey, let's go play outside. There's a temptation in her life. Her sisters aren't cleaning up, and she's like, why should I clean up when they're not cleaning up? She's cleaning up the toys, and instead of cleaning up, they're like, wow, these are great toys. Why don't I play with them instead of cleaning up, right? God is asking us to walk before him. He doesn't want you to walk before your friends or your family or the people at church or even the pastor at church. I really hope that one of the takeaways that you take from this is that it's not how you look in front of others. Although that has its place. It's how you look before God. If you look great in front of others, um, and others you know, can congratulate you, and others can say, hey, you're doing a great job, you're doing a great ministry, you're dressing great, you're smelling great, you're talking great, um, or you're doing okay. But you're not walking before God, and God is looking at you, and he's like, well, you know, I'm asking you to do something, but you're not doing it. All that other stuff doesn't matter. If I tell my daughter to clean up and I go to the next room and I'm doing something and I come back and the room isn't clean and she's not cleaning it up, it doesn't matter what her friends say about her. Her friends can say, you know, you don't need to clean up. You're fine just the way you are. You look great. You know, you're awesome. If you go play with us, you'll be double cool. Do the exact opposite of what your dad says. Their opinion doesn't matter when my daughter is supposed to be walking and obeying me. It is important what God says about us, more important than what others say around about us. Here's an, uh, a story for you. I don't know if it's embarrassing or not, but a couple Sundays, well, this is more than a couple Sundays ago. 
I, I came to church. I was not at church on time. Um, I might have even been a little bit late. And so when you show up to church and you show up to church late, there's a uh, difficulty finding a good parking spot. If you know what I'm talking about, you need to come to church earlier. If you don't know what I'm talking about, God bless you. Um, and so I show up to church a little bit late, and I'm looking for a parking spot, and I'm not exactly sure where I should park. And I find a improvised parking spot. It wasn't exactly a parking spot, but it seemed like you could park there because there was space there, right? Um, and so I, I did have, like, for half a second, I had this thought. I'm like, maybe I should park here. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, it's kind of close. It's right there. We'll go to church. You know, people can kind of drive around us. It's not too, too hard to drive around us. And so park or close the, uh, and we come out. We come and sit in church. We really like the front row. And halfway through the service, I walked out. I had my almost two-year-old with me and uh, walked with her to the South Hall. And I have this usher guy coming up to me. You know, I don't think too much of it, but I'm like, I wonder, I wonder, I just wonder. He's, he looks determined. He's not just walking casually. He looks determined because he was just kind of walking, walking. And as soon as he saw me, like, he just walked towards me. And I'm just like, okay, well, I wonder what he's going to say. So he comes up to me and he says, is this your car? And I was like, yes, it is. I didn't ask him how he found out. Uh, but it was my car. And he says, why'd you park there? I needed parking space. And he said, uh, well, you know you shouldn't park there. And I said, well, I thought about it, but I did it anyways. And he said, you know, that's not good. You know what God would say about that, right? So he made me feel kind of bad about what I did. And so I, I repented, and I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go repark my car. And halfway through service, a couple parking spots opened up, and, and I went reparked. The way he found me is this church has cameras on the outside. And so I think one of the things he gets a kick out of um, and maybe Austin knows more about this because he's, he's in the security detail. Maybe he doesn't know about this. I don't know. I think he gets a kick out of this is finding cars that are parked improperly and then going to the cameras and seeing who it was and then finding them in church. It's like a game of hide-and-seek adult version. But this camera that he found me on is like this eye-in-the-sky big brother that is watching you and is watching what you're doing. But you know, God is bigger. He's got a camera eye in the sky that's so sophisticated, it doesn't just see what you're doing. It also knows what you're thinking. It knows why you're doing what you're doing, how you're doing it, and what you should or shouldn't be doing. He knows and see every, sees everything. And so when we walk in our life and when we do things, um, you can't hide from God. God knows whether you're walking from him walking before him or you're not walking before him. Um, another example is somebody was walking their dog at Ruston Way. They did not clean up after their dog, after it went to the bathroom on somebody's lawn. And they just kept walking like nothing ever happened. And so this, perf this person was confronted and said, hey, 
Like, why didn't you clean up after your dog, after somebody saw them who, who knew them? And they said, well, nobody saw it. Why should I clean up? And you know, if nobody even calls you out on the things you do, on the sin in your life, on the uh, on things that you do, on the things that you think, on the things that you see, God knows it all. Sometimes we think we can... We can hide something, even if somebody finds out what about it, it doesn't matter. But God knows, and you can't hide anything from God. God is the one who called you. God is the one who you're going to give an account to. And so my first call, the first part of this is check your life and see, are you living worthy of the calling that God has called you to? And if you are, that's great. And if there's a calling that God gave you, and that's to walk before him, and you're not living up to that standard, take a look at your life, and maybe there's something in your life that needs to be changed, that needs to be switched up. Something in your life where you have to turn around and ask for forgiveness and strive to walk worthy of the level that God has called you to. We're going to read, continue reading. We've read verse 1. We're going to read verses um, 2 through 6. If you have your Bible, you can keep open. And I'll read verse 1 just so, it, um, just so it flows. We'll do verse 1 and then we'll read through verse 6. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. That's what we were just talking about. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Three, make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. In the prior chapter, if you read chapter 3, Paul is um, talking about a mystery. He's talking about what's, what's happening in the church, what God's plan is. And one of God's plan is, is to take the Jews, to take the Gentiles, and to combine them into one people. So, he, you know, salvation originally from the Jews. Gentiles are people who just learned about Jesus. And God wants to take the one and he wants to take the other, put them together, and make one family from both of them. Now, these people are really different. They, they came from different states of life. Um, the Jews had a certain dietary, you know, a certain dietary restrictions, or a certain diet. Gentiles had a completely different. They had a different history. The, the Gentiles had a history of paganism. They worshipped many, many idols. The Jews had a history of serving God. They had different understandings of the world. They had different politics. They had so many different things about them. And so when we read here in verse 2, from verse 2 to verse 6, what God is doing is he's taking these, all these different people and he's putting them into one. And those people are his body, the church, and he is the head. And that's the theory part of the message, right? That's kind of the, the easier part of things is, yeah, there's these Jews and there's these Gentiles, and now they're all one body, 
and God loves all of them, and great. But how does that apply to us, right? That's, that's kind of where the, where the hard part starts happening. The hard part is this, that when we come to church or wherever we're at, is that we're all so different. There's one God. We just read, there is one God, one faith, one spirit. There is one. But we are many and we are so different. We come from different countries. We grow up with different parents. We have different understandings of the world. And what will happen is that instead of encouraging each other, instead of helping each other, instead of um, encouraging each other to walk worthy before God, what we do is we start looking at these differences that we have within each other. We start bickering and we start kind of fighting. And instead of being one body in Jesus Christ, we start nitpicking all sorts of things. We'll nitpick people, you know, who maybe look different than us, eat different than us, church service is a little different than us. Some church services, everybody prays together. Some church services, people pray one by one. There's so many different things that we could, you know, find all these differences. Instead of being united and encouraging each other, we, we kind of fall apart. What does this mean? It means that we have one God and he is our father. He's got many different children and, and, and they're different. And he calls every one of his children to walk worthy, to walk, to, to walk in the way that he calls us to walk. There's one God. That doesn't mean there's two gods or five or seven. What does that mean for us practically? It means that we should let God be God and not take his place. Sometimes we have a uh, hard time accepting those whom God has accepted. God, like in my previous example, for my children, I am the caller, they are the called. For us, God is the one who calls, and his call is found through his word, the Bible. And sometimes instead of letting God be God and make the call, we try to take people and fit them in our understanding of what God is or what God should be or how God would react. Instead of accepting people, and I'm not talking about accepting sin. I'm, I'm not talking about accepting sin at all. But I am saying that even though people are a little bit, maybe a little bit different from us, we have to accept the people that God accepts and to help them and to help them become the people that God wants them to be. Oftentimes, you know, instead of praying for people, instead of coming up to them and encouraging them, and helping them to be the people that God wants them to be, we start sounding, you know, we want to find a snarky comment that we could tell them, and we make it sound really spiritual. We'll say something like, you know, this is a temptation for me or, or for somebody else, or uh, what you're doing isn't spiritual enough, or whatever our way is. But when we do that, we push people away from ourselves. We push people away from God. And one of the things that we should not do is push people away. We should work on being united. We should work on encouraging people to walk worthy in the calling that they were called into. 
Another illustration, kind of talking about my daughters, is, well, before I get there, before I get there. Um, verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Talking about how to be one. We need to find humility and know our place. Know that God has his place and that we have our place. And let God do what he needs to do. It is our job to accept those people that God accepts even if they are different from us. Verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. However, he has given each of one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, um, we'll skip that, we'll go to verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church. God is good. He has always, he's also given us gifts. He's given gifts to the church to help his people to be successful in their walk before him. Um, here, when it's talking about gifts specifically, it's saying that the, the apostles, the prophet, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers are God's gift to us so that we can be helped to walk worthy of the calling that God has called us to. Yes, we walk before God. We don't walk before the pastor. We don't walk before our friends. We don't walk and we don't live um, when we shouldn't just live before our parents only. We should walk before God. But God has taken all these different people and he's placed them in our life so that we can be helped walking in the way that we should be walking and walking in the calling that God's given to us. And so we should pray for our teachers, we should pray for the pastors, the leaders of the church, so that they can be a good gift in our life. Uh, I don't know how many of you have received Christmas gifts, probably all of you. I don't know how many of you have received useful gifts and how many of you have received gifts that were kind of useless. So I've received a lot of useless gifts in my life, I will admit that. No, I did not tell the people who I got it from that these gifts were useless. Um, I guess I'm not trying to hurt their feelings. But what do you do with a useless gift? You take it. Somebody's received a useless gift, yeah? Okay, or maybe you've given a useless gift. But anyways, what I've done with a useless gift is like they'll give me, I, I don't even know, I don't have a good example off the top of my head. I've, I've received some good gifts too. So you receive these like useless gifts and, and what do you do with them? Okay, here's one. We've received a spoon and it was like yay big. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with the spoon. Like, are you supposed to, I'm not that big. I'm assuming it's a display spoon, like it's supposed to look pretty somewhere. Or maybe if you've got like this much salad, you're supposed to mix it, but it looks too fancy to mix stuff. And so what you do with useless gifts is you rewrap them and you give them to somebody else. Now you're the useless gift giver, right? So one of the things that God is calling us to hear is, is, one, he is calling us to walk before him and to walk in a worthy manner. That's one. Two, as we walk before God, 
we are supposed to be in unity and to help others that we may not like. We are supposed to be an encouragement to people who are like us and we are supposed to be an encouragement and a help to people that are not like us, to people who we may not like. We may be Jews and we may observe everything and they may be the Gentiles or we may be Gentiles and they may be the Jews, right? They've got their I's dotted and their T's crossed. We are supposed to work together. And the way we do that is God has given gifts and he's given gifts to everybody. If you're a Christian, God has given you something that you can serve the church with. He's given you something that you can serve a fellow believer with and serve those who are not believers as well. And the question for you is, those gifts that you have, are you using them efficiently and well? Are you a gift that when people are around you and they, re they receive what you can give them, they're blessed by it? Or are you one of those gifts that when you're around other people, they want to wrap you up and send you to somebody else? Deep question, right? God has other people who are supposed to help us, whose gifts are supposed to help us walk worthy of the calling that he's given us. But God also wants us to be gifts that when we come up to somebody, that when we're around other people, that we can be the gift that encourages others, not to be the gift that pushes people away from God. So God's goal in verse, in verse um, 13 and 14, I want to read it. This will continue until we all come... Um, Let's start with verse 12. Their responsibility or the gifts that God has given us, the pastors, the teachers, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church that we were just talking about, to encourage each other to walk worthy to the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. So God's goal with all these gifts is to help us to mature. In the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So maturity until we become like Christ. That's the level of maturity that we're supposed to come up to. That we will be no longer immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. So the thing that will make us mature is truth and love. It is the truth of God's word. And truth has the power to transform our mind. Keynote here. Keynote. This, uh, when, when they preach on Romans 12, um, if we can just open up real quick Romans 12. Um, Romans 12, verse 2, I believe. It says, uh, I'm reading the NLT version here. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but God, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think or be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I believe KJV says. Then you will learn God's will for you. So truth can transform the way you think. It can transform your mind. And when your mind is transformed, you can become like Jesus Christ. But truth doesn't always transform your mind. If you read Romans 1, it talks about people who 
reject the truth and so their minds is twisted. God's truth can be ignored. It can be manipulated. The danger of not being in God's word and not let it transform you is this, that if you don't let God's word transform your mind, your mind will still be transformed. Let me say that again. If you don't let God's word transform your mind, something else will transform your mind. If it's not God's truth, it'll be a different truth. In quotations, right? So if you let God's truth transform you, let the word of God transform you, you will be transformed into the image of Christ and you'll become mature. When your truth comes from the news, from social media, you are in danger of being transformed into an emotional wreck. When your truth comes from your friends, you are in danger of being transformed into a slave of what they think about you, of their opinion. When your truth comes from your own opinion and from your own view on things, you are in danger of being transformed into somebody who is selfish and proud. If your truth even comes from those who teach the word, but you yourself are not in the word, you are in danger of transforming into their understanding, into their tradition, into their mold without yourself being transformed into the image of Christ. So it is important that we take the truth of the word, not just any truth and not just any information. We take the truth from the word of God. We spend time here. And so when we spend time in the word of God, his word can then take us, it can transform our mind and we become mature like Jesus Christ. And I'll be ending here, but God wants us to be mature. Why? Well, When you were born, the only movement you could do is probably move your mouth, cry, move your hands, and your bowels could move, right? There wasn't very much movement at all. As you grew older, you were able to flip. As you grew older, you were able to crawl with your hands. You grew older, you were able to crawl with your hands and with your feet. You grew older, you were able to stand, and then you were able to hold on to something and move. And then finally you were able to wobble, and then you could walk, and then you could run. After the end of the church service here, just think with me. How many of you are going to say amen, pray, and you're going to want to go home, right? You're going to want to go to sleep, get up tomorrow for school or work, or maybe sleep and it's your day off, whatever. But imagine this scene right now. We say amen. Everybody here gets on their bellies on the floor and crawls out to their cars. Just think about it. You'd be like, well, that's a silly way to live. Why wouldn't you just walk to your car? My point exactly. God wants you to mature. He doesn't want you crawling on your bellies the entire life. Because there's something better out there. It's better to walk than it is to crawl. It is better to walk than to have somebody to carry you everywhere. You have more freedom. And so what I'm trying to say is, is like anything else, when we mature, there's a sweetness about it. There's something beautiful 
Um, if we are saved, that's great. If we come to Jesus Christ, that's a great start. You were born. Congratulations. Somebody has to change your poopy diaper now. You know, that's a great start. We're happy when our kids are born. We really are happy. It's, it's a wonderful feeling. The, the, the first time one of my kids was born, Elizabeth, who is seven now, I was overwhelmed with, like, joy when I saw her born. I wanted to, like, cry and laugh, and it was just, it was like almost like a surreal experience. And then same thing with my second daughter and third, although for the second and third, it wasn't, I, I feel like I didn't quite get the high, right? It was still good, but it wasn't like the first one. And so God wants us, our Christian experience to be rich. He doesn't want our Christian experience to be bland. And if all we do is we accept Jesus Christ, it's great. But if you just leave it there, your Christian experience is going to be pretty bland. You're going to be crawling everywhere. And then you're going to be like, well, Christianity is kind of boring. It's, there's not much going on. It's just all these rules and regulations and people telling me what to do and what not to do. And like, this is not cool. And if you are not growing in your spiritual walk, that's what your Christianity will be like. And if you want to walk and go places and do stuff, you've got to mature. And you've got to mature like, to be like Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? You read his word, you stay in the truth, and you let that truth clean your mind. You let it transform your mind. And as your mind is transformed, you start thinking and you start acting and you start being more like Jesus Christ. And then your Christianity becomes really awesome. Uh, one, more, one more just quick example, same, same, same idea here is when you were born, uh, you ate your mother's milk, right? As you grew, grew a little older, uh, your parents probably gave you some carrots. And since uh, when you, when you've, all you've had is milk for a couple months, and you're given carrots, the carrots probably tasted really good. How do I know I've given my kids carrots? They thought it was the most amazing food ever. That is until you give your kids some candy. And they're like, wow, this is even cooler than carrots. Like, who cares about carrots? We'll just eat candy and sweets all day long. We don't care about the milk. We don't care about the carrots. We care about the sweetness of the candy. Uh, candy's not good for you. That wasn't my point. My point is as, as you grow and you, you, you try new things, and as you become more like Jesus Christ, those things that were sweet and gray, that level that you were at, isn't, looking back, it's not that great. So my encouragement for you and for myself is to look forward to who we become become in Jesus Christ, to look forward to maturing and to growing um, because there's so much more sweetness than we may experience by just, you know, being immature and, and just being saved. So um, I'm going to end with that. We're going to pray. Thank you for, for listening uh, to the voice I have. It was kind of rough today and yesterday. And so the call is this, that God wants us the best for us. He wants the sweetest life, the best life we can have. And the best way to do that is to grow and to become like Jesus Christ and to walk worthy of the calling that he has for us. We're going to stand right now. We're going to pray. And the prayer is this, is if you haven't received Jesus, if you're not walking with him,
If you're not born again in the language of, of, of the Bible, um, it's a great time to do so. It's a great place to start. If you're already born again and you're already walking with Jesus, um, it's a great place to start, but it's not a great place to finish. There's more that God is calling for us. And so if you want to dedicate your life to Jesus, today's a great day. If you want to look at your life and say, hey, I've dedicated my life to Jesus, but there's not a lot of growth in my life. I'm just kind of stuck and I'm not maturing and I'm that, like that baby who's, you know, already 15 but still wearing my diaper. There needs to be movement in my life. Today's a good time to kind of look at yourself and say, if there's movement that needs to be made in my life, maybe I should think about what I need to do to, to, to get there. And we'll pray. And after we pray, I've got one more thing for you. Uh, before I go, let's pray.